You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey everybody, it is Andrew Lowen and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am joined as always by Sexy Irish Sean and recently retitled SEO Wizard Rick. How's it feel to have your title back, Rick? I, I got tired of being just Rick, so I added it myself since no one else wanted to do it. So yes, <laughs> oh. I am now SEO Wizard Rick once again. Yes. I mean, you don't just get a title, you have to earn a title. Right? What? No, you have to no, no. A quest or, I mean, he you, you, who or controls the, the SEO can make his own SEO title. Yeah. A keyword is never late or never early. It is indexed precisely when it is meant to. And, <laughs> yes. And, and when and when my my connection crashes again, you guys can make fun of me all you want because I won't be able to hear you. I have my screen <laughs> captured just over your face. If you if you freeze again, I can grab a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife and I were on a trip and uh, we were talking about commercials that we loved. And the first one that came up was Got Milk. There was this random banner on or a, a random sticker on a, a a truck it was like why would you put this on your on your truck the got milk it just it reminded me of all the great got milk commercials you know you've got like michael jordan with a milk mustache and all sorts of other famous nba or whatever sport players i just thought that was such a clever example of uh well it's just a great example of marketing um these commercials that we remember you know, we remember the product for years and years because of one great set of commercials. But did it make you go and buy a product? Because sometimes I think that's a good ad, but I don't think it ever influenced me in actually buying the product. You know, I think part of the, the thing that commercials on TV are supposed to do is remind you that something exists. You know, I think half the uh, selling process is what's that. And in a similar way to what I did for deliverance, you know, I, I look at and the way I advise clients that have larger budgets, you will not get any conversions or make, you know, very few conversions from a Facebook group banner ad, but it does serve in letting people know that your thing exists. You know, a, a lot of people could see that image. And then when they go to Kickstarter later, they also are impressed with your, you know, meaning impressed as in an impression on their eyeballs of your Kickstarter um, project. It's, it's kind of the same thing. So I think that all marketing efforts really can't be measured by the same metric of how much money did it make me because you know, and they're not meant to, I think uh, we could probably talk about that one podcast, uh, you know, certain marketing efforts are meant to spread awareness and others are meant to like capture return on investment. I definitely agree. I think it's more of a reminder. For example, we have tons in San Diego, we got tons of lawyer commercials. I mean, you don't need a lawyer when you see a lawyer commercial. However, you keep seeing the same lawyer and commercial over and over again. And all of a sudden when you need one, oh yeah, 1-800, get help. You know, it's just like, <laughs> or like same thing, like, you know, like, you know, Budweiser used to have really big commercials back in the days. What's up? And all yep. the fun stuff that they used to do. And people remember that. And I think, you know, for people who like beer, when they go to the beer aisle, they'll, they'll, they'll think of that commercial. But yeah, I, I don't see it. Like they didn't, it didn't make me want to go out and get a bud. I mean, I, I think that beer is just like bad water. But uh... <laughs> if you make a conscious decision to not buy something, then I think that the company's marketing has done its job because it has brought you to a place of considering if you want this or not. And if the answer is no, I mean, there are going to be others whose answer is yes. So it's, you know, I think, you know, especially in today's day and age, we're inundated with 
I mean, really, it's been this way for a long time since, you know, the 60s when TV got was colorized commercials and other things like that that just are vying for our attention. We do everything we can to avoid getting advertised to. But when some commercial kind of breaks through the croc, what I call the crocodile brain into the neocortex where you can reason and think about it, I, th- I would say that's a big win. I was going to say, I'm very proud of this little, uh, there's this little mom and pop Chinese restaurant that I drive by on the way to the office all the time. They actually like put SEO like on the real world map because when you drive by their restaurant, it doesn't say their business name. It says Chinese fast food, big letters. You can't miss it. And that is what people like. Oh, Chinese. Oh, I know what, like, I I know what it is. I know I want it. And every time I drive by, I'm like, you know, I should probably stop there because I got Chinese fast food, you know? Yep. Instead of it's, you know, and it works. Stuff like that works. That's all I have to say. I'm done. Goodbye. Absolutely. Have a nice podcast. See you all next week. <laughs> it might not convert immediately, but it will convert eventually. I have a really weird example of something like this working. I would say about 10 years ago, I got this, you know, I was walking the mall, uh, just a local mall next to me. And I got this uh, random massage from a Thai massage place. The owner of the business was standing outside, you know, just hanging out. And he saw me walking up and he decided to say like, hey, you know, in his, can I rub your body? <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> no, he's just like, you use hand gestures like, hey, you know, and he grabbed my shoulder with this like iron vice like grip. And he just like, massaged for like 20 seconds and it turned me into butter and when i walked away i was just had no intention of getting massaged but when i walked away i'm just like dude have to remember that guy and this uh monday 10 years later (laughs) i got my first massage for that guy i'm like dude we really need a massage and i was like well this one time this one guy i wonder if he's still there dude the thai massage parlor is still there in the mall. It's like one of the only stores left because all of the other ones closed down because COVID. But this place survived somehow. And this guy was there. He had 10 years extra on him and he was just as awesome. Wow. Even when it comes to our podcast, you know, our, we're called Crowdfunding Nerds. But if you actually look at the title of our podcast, in fact, let me pull it up here to make sure I'm saying it correctly. Our title is actually Crowdfunding Nerds kickstarter marketing for board games and i think it's beyond to get cut off but um anyway we use kickstarter because we're not yeah. we know we know we're nerdy and we're cool but not everyone else knows we're nerdy and cool so and they don't know what crowdfunding nerds are so we actually include the keywords of the services we provide to get people when they search for those to find us so it's all i think about- the best ads are ads you don't realize they are ads I think this is why Facebook advertising has become so successful is because the advertisements are part of the user's experience of the platform. It's not like YouTube where, you know, before you try to consume content, you're, the ads interrupt that process. Whilst with face, Facebook, it's integrated into the, the experience of the platform where it's, it's seamless. You, you're just flicking through your, your newsfeed. And you don't even realize you're seeing an ad because, you know, you're seeing things that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, the greatest marketer, I think, is George Lucas, because he made his money not on Star Wars, but on the merchandise of Star Wars. Basically, his films were just giant advertisements to sell toys and clo- clothing with Star Wars logos. And that's how he made that's... his money. It's a, I think he's the, the greatest advertiser because he created these films, which is just massive advertisements. 
And you don't even think you're being advertised to, but you are. And when you walk past the store and you see Luke Skywalker in the in the display, you're like, oh, I'm going to get that for my mm-hmm. kid. <laughs> you know, even before that, you had Disney doing this. Disney as a company, they aim that you know if you make a thing you aim to make more money than you spent on it but disney all all disney has to do is break even because they um funnel customers into their parks and into purchasing merchandise of all sorts of things you know diapers to action figures and and whatnot and they have these massive massive deals with companies like you know they do McDonald's toys and and every everything else because their movies are what start to kind of pull customers in. So I, I think it's a really interesting and also devilishly clever marketing technique. So on today's podcast, we wanted to go over what makes an awesome welcome email as well as revisit the sunk cost fallacy. This is a concept that I think is extremely important as a business owner that is, you know, I mean, marketing is a great place to have this understanding. If you're going to spend money on marketing, if you're going to spend money on anything, you should have an understanding of the sunk cost fallacy and why it will, why it'll sink you if you don't pay it mind. Let's, uh, let's dive into the welcome email first, because this I think is interesting. Uh, Sean, you want to um, share why you wanted to um, chat about this one? Yeah. So we had a client who asked, us what is any tips for a welcome email and for maybe those of you listening in who don't understand the the process that we set up for kickstarter crowdfunding projects is that we use facebook ads we direct people to a landing page that landing page is designed specifically to capture an email and to evoke intrigue and an individual they sign up to their email and then from that that email you direct them to a community where they can ask questions get answers to their questions that they're itching to get answered and develop a relationship with you the the developer and the creator the publisher so what is the the welcome email well that's what it is but how do you format it in such a way that you can effectively bring people to your community the group that's what we want to cover just it automates an, an element of the process that makes your life a lot easier. And anytime that you can automate something, normally it costs money. Um, automation is expensive. And in any, I mean, in any kind of process, if you automate something, usually it's paying somebody to create a process. But MailChimp gives you this, you know, and many other email marketing systems as well, uh, will give you this the ability to send an automatic email to people who join your list or maybe join your list with a specific tag, which is a little bit deeper that we won't get into that. And I think that this is so important to take advantage of as a, um, a, a creator because you only have so much time in a day and your emails may, you may only send one to, let's say you send four emails in a month. That's a lot for the typical um, creator, but I mean, that's only four chances that are really random. Like if you catch your, your person, you know, that receives your email at a time where he can actually read and kind of ingest and absorb what your email says, then maybe you can get them to your social media or into your discord community or whatever. But when they sign up for more information, if you send them an email and it arrives immediately, it has um, I mean, typically over a 50% open rate and, you know, 15% click through rate is really common for these types of emails. So you hit them right at their 
time of greatest interest and give them an immediate next step, which is very valuable. So Andrew, your welcome email developed over time. You want to talk a little bit about the, the deliverance welcome email because it's quite long now. How did it start, start off? And what was the reason to expanding it? For me, the welcome email is to get them into a community. I want them to engage with a community. And by doing that, I win the right to communicate with them across a, a second or third medium. Um, instead of just email, I get to communicate with them via email and the Facebook group or something like that. That's really the primary purpose. And I, so I want to kind of create a sense of community and get them into the community. And we started out with one community, which was a Facebook group because it was free and it was the thing that I, you know, the, the platform that I used anyway. So I just directed them to Facebook. Now the email is much longer because we have more places that a person can find you know, the community. We've got Discord, Facebook, BoardGameGeek. We have a tabletop simulator mod and those four places, in addition, of course, to the email are, and now the Kickstarter page are places that you can get information, join the community and kind of engage. So that's really why the email has expanded over time. But in a, in its early day, I just, it, it was just so simple. It had my company logo. It had just a single small paragraph, maybe like four lines of information. And it had a link to go to my Facebook community and, you know, a call to action that just uh, brought people there. Really, really simple, but it, it definitely served its purpose. Before we spent anything on ads, we actually built our Facebook group to over 900 people. I did this by sending people through, you know, organic Facebook, uh, just like in, you know, just chatter in Facebook groups and, and places like that, local conventions as well, and that I would attend with my prototype. I sent them to my website, which was also really super cheap and had a link, you know, to, to sign up for my uh, email newsletter. That's how I would get people there. The welcome email single-handedly populated my Facebook group. The key to this welcome email is to keep it short and sweet. So what I recommend is that you have an image of your game uh, some nice components, something that makes it stand out, looks, looks unique. And then a little introduction that says, we plan to go to Kickstarter, maybe a date or a, a month that you plan to go on Kickstarter and just welcome the person to the community and encourage them to go to the community to ask questions and that you value their feedback. Make sure that you stress that. Then a very simple button that will direct them to your community, your Facebook group or Discord server. You don't want any other buttons. You don't want you know any social icons or uh, you know, even the notify me on launch. You don't really want to do that. What I suggest is pinning or making an announcement on your Facebook group of the notify me on launch Kickstarter page that you can direct people to once they're in your community. Mm -hmm. uh, would you add anything to that, Andrew? Yeah, I guess two, two elements maybe to drill a little bit deeper into what you said. The first one, a lot of people make this same mistake. It is to include links to all of your social networks. That is not what you want to do unless you want someone to go like click on your Instagram, look at a picture or two, and then continue browsing and end their, their uh, browsing of your stuff and start browsing other things. You want to focus your email to get them to do the thing that you desire most. And that is 
in this in the case of the welcome email the goal is to get them to join your community so linking them to something other than a community is than your community is a mistake and your facebook page your instagram your snapchat tiktok that is not a community it's a social network it's not a, so let's maybe we should define a community it's a place that others can congregate and talk about your stuff without you having to be the the only person that goes back and forth you know ideally you would have people chattering and talking to each other and asking questions and that kind of thing and other members answering those questions that's what you're building toward so to link them to anything else is a mistake you really also need to focus so for me i have you know all of my communities have enough members to kind of self-sustain as long as the topic is interesting you know or somebody has an opinion about it they'll talk but oftentimes members will talk and you know in discord people are looking to play games and finding games with other members i'm not saying like hey everyone you know who wants to play a game i only have so much time in a day and especially now that my kickstarter is over I don't think I've played a full game of Deliverance since my Kickstarter ended. It's, uh, I mean, I've fiddled around with the Tabletop Simulator mod because it needed scripting improvements or something like that. But I really needed my community to kind of pick that torch up and carry it if, you know, I wanted them to introduce more people to the game, right? And uh, the only way that that'll happen is if it's large enough to kind of self-sustain. If nobody's talking, if somebody asks a question and no one responds, or maybe it's just you, which is not bad, by the way. That's how I started. It's uh, it's not going to be as engaging, right? And so you need to kind of work to reach critical mass with one community before you really look to establish another one. What communities are available? I mean, like you said earlier that not all social media sites are communities. Um, which ones would you recommend and what would you start off, you know, like what order would you would you go in if you did multiple ones? Where do you go to ask questions? Where do you go to um, kind of uh, enjoy or rather talk to others about the things you like? You know, um, a lot of people use Facebook. Uh, your personal Facebook page is a, you know, sort of a community. You've got people who um, are your frenemies that want to spy on you and other people that are your actual friends that will go back and forth. But um, you know, a post about a fandom that you really enjoy goes a lot further in a Facebook group than your personal feed typically. And so I would say the first place to start is a Facebook group. Now, a lot of people ask Facebook page or Facebook group. And the answer to that is a Facebook group. You don't want to have a Facebook page be the center of all the things that you do. Eventually, the Facebook page uh, let's say a company like Stonemeyer Games, who I never talk about, um, they, uh, it's a joke. I, I see like a tiny smile from Sean, but it was like lame. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe I should say Jamie Stegmeyer does this thing where he has his Facebook page. That's more for company-wide announcements. And then the individual groups, let's say the Scythe group, is for discussing scythe and the tapestry group is for discussing tapestry and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how it ends up working out eventually, you know, my deliverance group, it'll be nice because people know me there. I'll be able to share what I've got going on for my next game, but you know, the next game is going to need its own group. 
to, so that fans of that game can talk about that thing. So eventually I'll need to create another Facebook group to kind of foster that, you know, that, that interest. Other places that I've found to be effective, I don't use all of them, but I, you know, I generally limit my communities to places that I'm willing to, to go on a regular basis and engage. Uh, places that I'm used to doing that. So like I never use Twitter, you know, you can build followers there that, you know, um, some people have found that quite effective, but I personally use uh, discord discord because I had a fan who was like, Hey, you know, why is the discord really lame? I want to make it better. And he really helped me do that. The discord community is a thing. We have over 600 members because we had a fan willing to take on that extra work. Board Game Geek, I think, is very important. You have your your uh, uh, board games forums, so you can get people to subscribe to your board game. And whenever you post something in the forums, or whenever anybody posts something in the forums, you'll be able to, um, uh, you know, th- they'll get notified and um, they can engage. Did, so it's did, a really great notified place by email or just on the platform. Just on the platform, so you'll get a notification on Board Game Geek, very similar to Facebook, uh, how you'll get a notification, but it um, they tend to get read. I always clear all my notifications on Board Game Geek, whereas I'll click something on Facebook, and then it's um, you know half the half the things are no, really three quarters of the things are of the notifications are things I don't care about, you know. Um, Board Game Geek in general, I'll always at least look at the subject of each notification. So what about TikTok, man? That's that's a community, right? TikTok is something that I see like shared on Facebook. <laughs> it's like the good ones are just shared on Facebook. So I don't use TikTok and I just it's not that I don't understand it, it's just that I only have so much bandwidth and I'm not really willing to to use it yet. I'll maybe be like a later adopter when, you know, when China takes over the US and we have to, but um, <laughs> you're, you're you too know. old for TikTok anyway. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think it's a valid point though, because you could say I oh, can use TikTok, but who's using TikTok on a bunch of tweens and teenagers, you know, right. is that, is that your demographic demographic of people you're trying to reach? Do those people have money that can, they can spend on board games? So I think that's another thing to think of if, again, as you said, Andrew, it's, go, it's going to where you're comfortable with and, and what you know. Yeah, it's a, a great point that you brought up is that is that where your target market congregates? And I think that's kind of one of the linchpin points of a community is that you need to establish a community of like-minded people that are excited to buy your product, right? And, you know, tweens at the moment, I mean, they don't really have much money compared to the 20 somethings and 30 somethings and, and beyond. Right. It's really that coveted demographic is like 24 to 50 or something like that. It's a, the coveted demographic of like 24 year old, to 50 year old men are the people who waste all their money on things. So it's, it's, yeah. it's the group of people who just got that, you know, got that real job and they don't have like kids to have to throw money at. So they're like, Hey, I have miles better on board games. Yeah. And now a few of our clients have asked about having like their own community or their uh, community on their own website. Um, sort of like, you know, like board game geek, you know, has their own community. What are your thoughts on, on something like that? I think that it's a, it's kind of a mistake to, to do that. I, I understand why you might want to have your community on your own website. I know some board game companies that do this where they have forums on their own website. While you can 
craft a community there and you will have people that engage there. That's not something that I see that will last for, you know, will stand the test of time because, you know, even your most hardcore fans are going to cool off. I mean, we've all probably played Magic the Gathering and, you know, at, at one point, I was spending tons of money on it and that's all I was talking about. But now I don't really play it anymore and I don't spend money on it. So, you know, you have people who kind of rotate in as a really hardcore fan and then they eventually move on, you know, and uh, that type of behavior, you need to kind of counteract, counterbalance with uh, new hardcore fans. And you have to work really, really hard if it's your own website to continue pointing people to your website, getting them used to using it and so on and so forth. But um, with a community like Facebook, people that kind of fall off tend to still remain a part of your Facebook group and new people coming in. It's something that they used anyway. So you're not having to change their behavior in order to get them to kind of join your community. You're just kind of taking advantage of the behavior that they've already gotten used to, that they've already developed. And I think that's a really important point is that I want to go where the people are. I don't want to bring the people to me. Now, this is true in board games, but not necessarily true, let's say, if we had a like an SEO marketing business. It's a little different. The whole point of SEO is you know, to kind of pull them to you, get them to your website, and then they'll call you right about your services. But even in that case, uh, we as an SEO marketing agency are going where the people are to make that happen. We're going to, we're using Google, right? So that's kind of my thoughts on that. So Andrew, what is the sunken cost fallacy? The, the idea behind sunk cost is that you have invested money into something that has maybe not panned out. And the fallacy is when people choose to invest more money into something that has proven itself not to work because they feel like I've invested so much already, I might as well kind of see it through to the end. Just um, like slot machines at a casino. Yes, yes, Rick. Now, <laughs> I'll, I'll preface this and say that we did kind of cover this a little bit, and we had Rick tell some stories because Rick used to work as a uh, guest relations manager at, at a casino, right? That's correct. I saw it all. So talk talk about the bank accounts that you would see, like the, uh, you know, just some of the numbers. Oh, I never felt so poor in my life after looking at some of these numbers. Casinos are, are machines to, and they're designed to slowly but surely take a little bit of everyone's money, you know, throughout time. And although, you know, there are winners and stuff, a short run, in the long run, you always lose because that's how the math comes out. And the the millions and millions and millions this one little casino pulls in a month is it was just ridiculous. Um, but it was a well oiled machine and it worked well. And sort of like the sunk cost fallacy, we have a lot of player or we sorry when I worked there there was a lot of players that like you know there's slot machines everyone loves slot machines and a lot of them have like a uh, a a grand prize payout jackpot payout of like let's say like some of them have like a, a set one for like three thousand dollars. So the sunk cost fallacy in this is someone will keep playing and they think, oh, well, you know, if I put in like 3000 or less, I should win this 3000. And I had a, a, a guy who got upset and I got called over to, to his machine because the, the, the jackpot payout was 3000. So he figured he would put money in until he got that 3000 and it should have been before 3000. However, in the case of this machine, which it happens, you know, sometimes, but in the case of this machine, he put 3000 in 
and didn't get the jackpot. Like he over time, he kept betting and betting and got to a 3000 mark. And he was upset because he's like, it should have paid out. And I had to explain to him that even though the jackpot prize is 3000, it doesn't guarantee that it'll come out. You know, if you put 3000, you got to spend 7,000 before it activates. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I'm going to keep playing. Yeah, and then I'm, well, I've already invested. I've already invested $3,000. So I'm going to keep playing more until I get that jackpot back and recover some right, of my, some of my losses. Get closer, right? And yeah. of course I, I, um, I, I didn't see like he left. So I, I, I mean, and I went to the machine, there was still a jackpot there that was up there in the 3000. So I don't know how much more he spent, but he kept going and, but then he left and he didn't get the jackpot. So the money we spend on things influences our buying pattern so severely in some cases and you know you might be listening to this thinking like oh that was stupid it was stupid but if you've ever been to a point where you're like $2,800 down and you have $200 left in the machine you could either hit the button where which is like you know pay me out my 200 or you could keep pressing the go button to try to get that jackpot and the way people think about it is well I'm gonna spend 200 bucks to to win back my $3,000 that I invested, you know, and I have, you know, I've gone through 2,800. I must be much closer to that jackpot because I, I blew through $2,800 of, uh, you know, of results. So I'm that much closer to, to winning. This is where the fallacy rears its ugly head because in actuality, you need to consider your odds from that moment, not from the past. So I'll give you an example that is just really, really simple. You have this coin and you it's got heads or tails on it. You flip it nine times and you get tails eight of those times. Just happens to work out. Heads once. How many times do you think it would take to flip that coin until you're even odds, like 50-50? I don't have an answer for you, but it would take say, a, a lot. It just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So now if I were to say, well, I've flipped the coin, you know, 10 times and, you know, or like nine of them or eight of them were tails and two were heads, right? You cannot look at past performance as an indicator of future performance. You can't say that, you know, yes, if I were to give you odds of a coin flip, I would, I would say you're likely to get five heads and five tails. It's the most likely outcome, 50, 50 odds. You have a 50% chance of heads and a 50% chance of tails. So you happen to flip heads, you know, nine times or whatever tails, nine, seven, bleh, however many times in a row. Um, that was a statistical anomaly, but it happens. Problem when you're at a casino is that it should statistically work out. So the casino wins like 51% of the time, but the casino may go on a winning streak for like a hundred bets in a row. And maybe you'll go on a winning streak for 100 bets in a row. But given absolutely even odds, let's say it was 50% chance to win, 50% chance to lose at a casino, the casino will win because they have more money in the bank than you. So they can stand to lose 100 bets in a row, but you cannot stand to lose 100 bets in a row. You go to zero eventually when that happens. When people see odds, they think it's like immediate odds. Odds are not immediate. Odds are over time. So like like the heads and tail coin, there's only two outcomes. Either it's going to be a head or it's going to be a tail. So, of course, you go, oh, it's 50% each. Over time, yes. 
Um, so that's, I mean, so it's not going to be 50. I mean, yeah, it's 50%. It'll be a head or a tail, but of course, like Andrew was saying, you can have multiple, um, heads or multiple tails in a row. Um, also a lot of another, you know, a horrible thing uh, that people do. It's called the Martingale system. And they're like, Oh, I lost this. So if you're playing, let's say you're playing blackjack or you're playing roulette where it's red or black, you're, you know, so you play blackjack and you lose the first hand. Okay. Well, I'm going to double it so I can get my money back. Well, then you play again and you lose the second hand. Well, I'm going to double it again to get my money back. So now you're putting down like four times the bet to get back the initial single bet. And of course, yep. when it comes to that, like, like Andrew was saying, it's all about your bankroll. And of course your bankroll is going to, uh, disappear, uh, exponentially and you right. won't be able That's- to afford that. That's exactly right. That's how people lose houses at uh, in, in gambling. One thing it reminds me of as well is the fallacy of induction. So in, in logic, there's this common problem called the, the fallacy of induction. So the easiest way to think about it is if you're driving down a road and you see all these greenhouses. So it's greenhouse, 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 green. You keep on driving down the road and all you see is greenhouses. What's the likelihood that the next house will be green? Well, the reality is you don't know because it could be any color. You know, just because right. you saw, you know, 50 houses behind you that were green doesn't necessarily mean that the next house is going to be green. It could be a different color. So that's, you know, that's a common fallacy in, in logic. By Absolutely. the way, I live in a pink house, just so you guys know. Pink. How many pink houses <laughs> do you live in? I kind of live in a pink house too. I, so we had this experience with uh, with one of our clients who um, is an SEO client, doesn't really listen to this podcast, but I'm still not going to give away any, any details or anything. They are, I don't even think I should give away their business, but We'll just or their business like type, but we'll we'll just suffice it to say that they are a service based business, a relatively small company of four employees. The uh, typically when I look at a business, and you know you you can kind of guesstimate the amount of their yearly revenue by looking at each employee and multiplying that times a hundred thousand. Um, so. I would guess that his company pulled in about $400,000 a year because he has four employees himself and then three other full-time employees. And, um, you know, and this tends to be off maybe above or below, but, you know, it's a decent benchmark to kind of get the conversation started. This company started to pay $4,000 a month for SEO marketing services to another contractor. And they came over to do uh, some work for me uh, just, you know, personally, not uh, related to, you know, um, my business. And they, um, you know, and we we talked about this and they were like, yeah, you know, I'm paying four grand a month to this guy. He says he's giving me all these promises and he's saying all the things that are like warning signs in, you know, in my experience that this guy is taking you for as much money as you're giving him as you're willing to give him. And he's going to say whatever it takes to keep you paying. He's said, you know, he's saying like, Oh yeah, six to eight months before you get results, which is typical, you know, with an SEO company, six to 12 months is more common. The guy had like a monthly contract guy was telling him, Oh, I'm doing all these things, all these techie things. And I was, and I looked at what actually was being done and it was pretty much nothing. There was no ranking for his website anywhere. And it had been like four months of of work or three months of work that this guy had been doing with absolutely zero things to show for it. And so we ended up talking about this and saying, hey, you know, I think this guy's really kind of a a negative thing in your business. You're paying, um, I mean, you know what, uh, $4,000 times 12 is $48,000. He's paying this guy 
like 12% of his annual income for no results. This guy is all he's doing is, is giving him smoke mirrors and feeding him lies. He sits on a throne of lies. So, um, I, you know, the, I, I showed the guy some, uh, some facts and he was like, all right, I'm going to cancel service with that guy. And I charge, so we, we started up and we charged him $1,500 a month because there's no way that a small business like that should be paying, you know, what he was paying. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You should be getting a ton of work, um, you know, for, for that, for that investment. And so anyway, um, fast forward two months and he calls, he calls me and says, Hey, the guy says you're messing his stuff up. He wants me, you to stop. And so I'm calling you to cancel services, um, which surprised me for a couple of different uh, on a couple of different levels. First of all, he said that he was going to cancel service with that guy. He's instead decided to continue paying him money, which means that he had paid him eight thousand dollars more because it was two months later. So and on, he was paying you and this other guy still. Yeah, so he's paying a total of $5,500 a month now, which is a ton of money. Um, it's like having you know, two mechanics working on your car at the same time. It's yeah, like, and the one mechanic. Well. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one mechanic that's doing the good work is doing great work. And then the other mechanic is like smacking your car with his wrench and then being like, oh, look, what a ding he put in the in the transmission. It's He's messing it up, you know? And it's absolutely, you know, the, the client didn't he he didn't reveal all of this at, at first but as i kind of talked to him about this sunk cost fallacy so first of all the reason that he kept the other client or the other company working for him was because they bullied him into you know they were like oh you're you know you're not living up to your end of the bargain we said 6 months and you haven't even given me uh 6 months and it's like you know you shouldn't i mean i told him that if somebody has proven that they are not trustworthy you shouldn't be paying them, first of all. Uh, you shouldn't be trusting them with your money. And then second of all, if they are trying to strong arm you into staying, they need to show you like actual tangible results. They they can't you can't rely on somebody just telling you it's working. It's working, it's working, you know? Or oh, we just need like another month or two and it'll start working. You need to show like you know, if, if I were to say that to, to one of my SEO clients, it would be it, another month or two and it'll start working. Look, you're position number nine on, on Google or whatever, your position number 11, another month or two, you're going to hit the first page and actually going to start, you know, maybe receiving some results. I would always back it up with data, but this guy was not, um, he was just kind of bullying this person who's a very nice, very, you know, easygoing guy, you know, into staying and guilt using tactics of guilt and shame and, and other things like that. And in actuality, you know, if anybody does that, it's just, uh, it's poor business practice. I think very poor ethics, you know? So I just put this, this, our client, I just put them on blast. Like, what are you doing with this, with this person who you admit that you don't trust him and you're paying him anyway? And his answer was, well, I've already invested so much. I just need to see it through. And I spent and, you know, sunk cost fallacy. Right. And so I spent probably another 10 minutes with him on the phone espousing the sunk cost fallacy and how he really needs to look at it. And so what you're saying is because I've spent $20,000 and spent five months and he had spent $4,000 a month with this person. So it's 20 grand because I've spent 20,000, 
I am also going to spend 12,000. That was the logic he was using. And so I said, look, at the end of these, you know, six to eight months, which is what he wanted. So I, I guarantee it's going to be, you know, eight months. And then at the end of eight months, the guy is going to come up with another excuse that's like, oh, you know, maybe your, you know, your uh, other SEO company messed us up. We're like three months behind where we would have been, which is complete and utter garbage. You know, that just doesn't work like that in, in this industry. But, you, you know, or maybe, oh, yeah, well, you know, the COVID or other circumstances caused the um, results not to come in like we expected. We had to change our tactic. And, you know, there are so many other ways that you can just hang on, you know, you just try to, you know, or maybe even like, you know, one common thing is not returning phone calls. You know, if I were to, let's say, not answer that client's phone call, actually, it was Rick, you answered the uh, the phone and he told you that and then I, I called him back. But if Rick were just not to pick up the phone and not to listen to the message, we could, our, the cards on auto charge, we could just keep charging maybe another month or two. And oftentimes things like that are what happens. The, these providers will extract as much money from you as they possibly can. And, you know, that's uh, really, really sketchy. So we kind of went through this and it's like, you know, you don't trust this person, but you've spent money. So you want to see it through. I can tell you that in three months when you've saw it, it when it, when it's, it's through, you will be nowhere because you're nowhere now. And he's had five months to get you anywhere and he's gotten you nowhere. So here's all your rankings. You're absolutely nowhere. Let's, you know, reconsider what he's saying to you and save yourself really what, what you've done. If, if he were to listen to my advice right away, he would save himself $12,000. He'd put 12 grand in his pocket. He'd get rid of the, you know, the, the, the negativity. And then also he would save himself a minimum of three months of time. He would, he would gain three months what he would uh, do, you know, versus like if he were to stay with this guy and get Noah for three months, it would uh, just kind of put him behind competitors. It would delay his, his own success. And the reason that he would do that is because he's a nice guy. He would just, you know, throw himself, you know, upon the, the guillotine instead of the, uh, I guess the other person who actually kind of deserves the guillotine. So how, how then does this mentality relate to Kickstarter marketing? So anytime that you spend money on things, you have to consider the sunk cost fallacy. The odds of heads or tails is 50%. You have a 50-50 chance. You can't look at what has happened in the past. You must mm -hmm. look at what is happening now and in the future. If we were to, to look at odds of heads or tails into the future, we could say, yeah, you stand an average of 50%. Your odds right now are 50-50, but you could get heads 10 times in a row. So, you know, you have to look at the data. You can't say, I've spent this much money. I'm going to continue spending money unless there's actual data to back up why you should be doing that. So, you know, for uh, I mean, our, our clients, we offer a month-to-month -month agreement because we believe that results will speak for themselves and will hold the clients to us because they're they're getting results. We don't lock people in for a six month commitment and then you know tell people the results will be here by month six. It's just um, you know not the way that it would work in in this industry, I think. But um, you really need to judge your the way that you spend your money on the performance of you know what happened when we spent that money Th that's kind of how it relates
for our nerds out there, we'll just say we'll compare it to World of Warcraft. You know, you bought the game. I like where this is going. You got spent like you know, when the game came out it was like fifty bucks. I think I think now it's like ten or free or whatever. You bought the game. Then you got to buy all the expansions every, you know, every six months, a new expansion would come out. That's like another 40, 50 bucks uh, for normal people. But of course, no, you're not normal. You want the super deluxe VIP 120 something dollar expansion. So then you buy that and then you buy the next one. Then you buy the next one. And then you have monthly, monthly, you know, $15 a month just to access the game. Okay. So it was great. You're playing it. Now it sucks, but you're still play, paying the $15 a month, even though you're not playing it. Right, because and, you but, but you don't want to lose what you've invested in the game. You've played it before. You got all these really cool, epic, legendary, whatever stuff. And then you've put all this money into it. And so you don't want to stop the $15 a month because um, you don't want to lose that. And that's how they get you. <laughs> Where if you were smart, you would transfer over to Final Fantasy uh, 14 <laughs> and uh, play with the cool kids. Well, it's interesting because that's actually what made me stop playing wow was i i look back and objectively just looked at my transaction history with blizzard and i i worked out how much money i'd paid this company and thought the amount of money i gave this company do i feel like i got value for my money and the answer was no so it's like i'm ending <laughs> my subscription because it's not working out league of legends was a little bit more gnarly for me you know i i spent tons of money in world of warcraft but uh league of legends and guild wars too those those two and ion I mean, so many of these where you got to kind of kind of play for either free or a very low monthly. I think in the case of Ion, it was uh, monthly, but um, League of Legends and Guild Wars are free. And I found myself spending a minimum of $30 a month with both. Um, it was it was quite a lot, but still kind of under that threshold, for, you know, where a person would say, you know, like 50 bucks a month, that's enough to cancel. But like 20 to $30 a month is a little bit more palatable. Uh, I had a gym membership that was the same way where I just been, had been meaning to cancel it, but I had to like drive there in person to do that. And I let that gym membership the, and league and guild wars and, you know, all of these things, they ticked for three years. So, you know, what is $30 times 36 because that was how many months i let my gym membership go without actually stepping into the gym a thousand dollars almost eleven hundred dollars you know it but just this, yeah this also works the other way though this is this actually happens to uh to us with a lot of our seo clients so our seo clients are on a month to month and they usually pay the same amount each month and a lot of them get really good steady results and the keyword is steady results you know it's not like woo, i'm a millionaire but you know they get we have a lot of happy clients but then they get an email like you know, out of the blue, some spam, it goes, oh, hey, we can quadruple that results in two weeks. So then they call us and like, you know, I got to cancel. I found someone else. I'm going to try them out. And then they, we go, like, okay. And then, I'm going to try them out. I'm going to try them out. And then like about, you know, three, four, five, six months later, they come right back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, we like to re-sign up for our services. Uh, for our services. <laughs> so it works the opposite way too. So yeah. I, I mean, always want to be like, no. But I'm like, well, uh, okay, fine. Yeah, but triple. <laughs> triple <the price>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, it'd be nice to be like, no. It's yeah, but you got to look at your current that. situation. Now, like I said, like, you know, like y y you saw your World of Warcraft expend ex expenditures and you're like, wow, I spent all this money and I'm getting nothing out of it. I'm going to cancel. However, hmm. most people, especially people who gamble, will look at their expenditures like, I invested, invested. I invested all this money, so I need to keep paying 
oh, I lose it all. And that's the other the other side of the coin that people look at when things like that. One thing it reminds me of is my father. He invested a, a, lo a lot of money in a cryptocurrency, this sort of obscure altcoin. And he just keeps on holding on to it, thinking it's going to go up. It's like it just keeps on getting like lower and lower and lower. And every day he holds on to it, he's losing money. He's like, I was just telling him, sell, just sell whatever you have. And he's like, oh, but if I sell it now, I only get $200 and he invested a lot more. It's like, well, you got to count count your your losses and just bite the bullet because the yeah. longer you hold on to it, you're just going to eventually lose that $200 because it's going nowhere. It's just, it's dying. <laughs> it's <laughs> never going to be a legitimate, you know, means of exchange. So, Or, or just have him start a Reddit post, post a Reddit for him and just say, hey, everyone, this is the best thing in the world. Buy it now. Sort of like what they yeah, did with get Elon uh, Musk to tweet about it or something. Sort of um, like uh, uh, Game GameStop. <laughs> yeah, you know this actually brings me to another related term, which is called opportunity cost. So um, let's say you were to uh, do your Kickstarter marketing yourself. You're spending 500 bucks. You're saving, let's say, another 500 dollars a month on our service. Your opportunity cost is the next best thing that you could be doing with that money right? Um, you're spending money on Facebook ads. You are therefore not able to spend money on board game geek or whatever you're doing the ads yourself. Therefore your, your cost is that someone, someone else is not doing them. Right. And in some cases we get people that have been spending, you know, 20 bucks a day for the last, you know, eight months. And then they come to us and they spend, you know, the same 20 bucks a day, but they also pay our $500 a month market, you know, whatever, uh, Facebook ad fee. And they get like five times the result. It was, uh, you know, the, the opportunity cost, you're actually, it's costing you. So that Bitcoin investment versus whatever the heck, altcoin, there is a cost to not moving. And it's not just the, the number going down every day. It's that there are other numbers for other cryptocurrencies that are going up. And you have an opportunity to get in with 200 bucks in one of those. And instead, you know, we're playing this uh, waiting game. And it's costing you, right, on on several fronts. So anyway, I guess that's my it's my soapbox. I was really mad about it. Preach. Anyway, I think with that, I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. And of course, if you love this episode and you want to listen to more, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And that's all the time we got. We'll see you next week. And stay nerdy. Peace.